I think that you kind of become a philosopher just by nature of participating in these sports because you're forced to spend so much time asking yourself, like, why am I doing this? What am I trying to get out of this? Is this born out of insecurity? Is this born out of joy? Am I trying to prove something? Am I just an adrenaline junkie? Like, what's going on here? And I think that what makes climbing particularly special is that the stakes are life and death often. What's going on today, man? Not so much. I am excited for today's show because we are ranking stuff, and ranking stuff is always fun. It always is. So before we get into ranking stuff, though, why don't I rank two books? And we're going to tie them for number one. Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. The Practice of Groundedness by yours truly, Brad Stahlberg. These are our two most recent books, and getting them is one of the best ways to support this podcast and to keep it sponsorship-free, community-supported. Not only are you supporting the podcast, but the books are of phenomenal value. We really put our all into writing these things. They get to the heart of the evidence-based practices and habits of sustainable peak performance, excellence, and mental health. So grab a copy of our books. And if you really want to go all the way and get even more great information and support the show, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation. For as little as the price of a pre-inflation cup of coffee, you get access to monthly book clubs, mastermind groups, a community Slack channel, signed copies of our forthcoming books. Yes, we're putting out more books, more on that way later, and early podcast releases from this show. So it's a great value. Don't miss out. Check it out. www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. And then check out the books if you haven't yet. Do Hard Things, The Practice of Groundedness. They are available wherever books are sold and or wherever books are downloaded if you prefer to listen. Well, let's get into the real countdown, Brad. This is... The nine documentaries that have come out in the last couple of years that are must-watches from The Growth Equation. The last decade, let's be clear. Well, actually, it's the last, depends on how you define decade, it's the last 10 and a half years. We had to, we had to go with like some kind of boundary because we, we know we're going to get a million messages from haters that we didn't include their favorite documentary, so apologies in advance. But if we spanned the course of history, we'd just get inundated with hate mail. So we decided to cap it of a decade, but then when we were discussing the movies, there's one that came out in 2011, so it's like 10 and a half years, which is still kind of 10 years. If you ask my four and a half year old, he would say that's 10. So we're going with the decade plus. All right. So let's start out with number nine. Here we go. Won't You Be My Neighbor? It is the wonderful documentary on Fred Rogers available on Netflix. Everybody knows Fred Rogers, right? He is the wonderful person who um, did the, gosh, I'm blanking now, the TV show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, I loved this documentary for a simple reason. It is like a masterclass on how to develop 
and talk about self-esteem, self-worth, self-respect, and take kind of these grown-up, you know, ideas and communicate them successfully to a child. And then the documentary goes through Fred Rogers' life and takes it through the success of his show, but more so how he, you know, tackled really difficult topics and conversations and things that kids were struggling with. And he even tackled things like race relations to a degree in his, in a, in a children's show. Right. And tackled, well, how do you deal with things like divorce or separation or the overwhelming feelings of sadness? And, you know, I just thought as someone who lives in the writing communicating ideas space and also the self-help space it was just a wonderful must watch for you know how to take complex ideas and communicate them so that adults and children can um, understand them love it i could not agree more number eight available on amazon prime is euro spelled J-I-R-O, Dreams of Sushi. So Euro Dreams of Sushi follows a sushi chef who wants to work at a restaurant that is in the bottom of a subway station. I believe it's in Korea. Do I have that right or no? It's been a while since I've watched this. Steve's going to do the fact check. Anyways, while we wait for Steve wants to work in this hole-in-the-wall sushi place that is known to have the best sushi in the world. And it is all about his pursuit of mastery in the craft of making sushi. And you might think, what's so hard about that? Well, as you learn in the movie, it is every bit as much an art as it is a science. And it starts so far upstream of actually rolling the fish in the rice to purchasing the fish sourcing the rice, making sure that the rice is the exact right complexity. I mean, we are talking striving for perfection in a sushi roll. And um, we often think about this kind of striving towards excellence in sports or sometimes in the arts. We don't often think about it as food. Euro Dreams of Sushi kind of takes on that narrative and says, hey, this does include food. And since then, we've also seen the proliferation of TV shows like Chef's Table that kind of build on this mentality of cooking is a real craft and a real pursuit of mastery for those who are chefs. It was. It is actually in Tokyo. Japan. Ah, excuse me. Okay, but, not South Korea, but in in a subway station in Tokyo. Yeah, but I I really love this uh, this documentary because here's this this world class this person who is world class at what they do and. I believe, if I remember correctly, it's like this 10-person, like this 10-seat restaurant. And he could be, you know, expanding and trying to make it big and all this stuff, but he is literally fueled by the love of the craft and, like, the experience of, you know, developing his cuisine and giving the experience he wants over the course of the meal to his patrons. So it really is someone who figured out, you know, how to, how to be a craftsman and in doing so over the years, just end up as, 
the best in the world at what he does. All right. Next up is 14 Peaks on Netflix, which traces a Nepali climber that wants to climb all the peaks that are over 8,000 meters in a season. And then he ends up doing it in like six months. It is an absolutely crazy feat. And um, everyone was betting against him and he did it. And he was really driven and fueled by his purpose, which was to have a massive, notable, internationally covered climbing feat that was not supported by a Nepali Sherpa, but that was led by a Nepali Sherpa. Yeah, it was another one of these, you know, you're going to notice a trend here that's coming up is we're going to have a lot of climbing documentaries on this. And I think there's a reason for that because you have this, these accomplishments and you get to see through the documentary, the kind of ins and outs of what it takes to do some amazing, crazy, incredible things. Um, And I think 14 Peaks really gets at you know, a part of the climbing journey that is often neglected or people that are often neglected, but um, is an incredible story. And and I think what's interesting too about 14 Peaks is it, it you know, the, the main character who the film follows, and excuse me if I mispronounce his name, I apologize in advance, um, Nimsda Purja is like, really purpose-driven, but also kind of crazy and egomaniac. Like, he's the best. He's the only person that can do this. And I think that it goes to show that those things are non-dual. Like, you kind of have to be a little bit of a maniac and think that you're the best to take on a feat this huge. But if you're not rooted in some sort of purpose beyond just wanting to do it for yourself, then likely it becomes a very solitary, lonely, and sad you know, pursuit. And how does he fill it with joy? Well, he's accompanied on all these climbs by other Nepalis um, that that are in support of this mission. Again, to like hit the front page of the New York Times is Nepali shatters climbing record, rocks climbing world, so on and so forth. Because until Persia did this, it was always American shatters climbing or European shatters climbing supported by Nepalis. Um, so it... I went back and forth. I'm like, is he really selfless or is he actually just like a a huge egomaniac climber? And I think the answer is both, which was um, neat because it's good to wrestle with these ideas and not have it be so black and white. And I think that actually leads us into number six, which is another climbing movie, as I hinted at, The Dawn Wall, which is available on Amazon Prime, which is... The story that follows uh, Tommy Caldwell, and then also I think it's uh, Kevin Jorgensen. It's also a main part in this as they try and climb El Capitan, I believe it is. And and it's similarly because it's almost... Not just climb El Cap. By no means am I a climbing aficionado, but, but let me interject here. It is to solo El Cap, which means that they get no help, no external assistance. They can park in bivouac and set up camp which they did for over 14 days on the mountain but there's like no no supports no footholds no hammering and pins into the wall and it's a notoriously difficult route no one had done it 
Um, it was known as the last crown jewel of climbing before they made it to the top. So I just wanted to to put it in context. It, it was one of these like earth shattering climbs. Yeah. So I think this is, again, the climbing is the interesting part. It sets the stage. But what really is interesting, I think, to me is the human part. Because you have these two guys and at various points, like there's this struggle where, you know, one can, can is making it maybe a little bit further and the other is delaying. And you've got this kind of this this drive and obsession that is contrasting with this kind of, okay, dedication and friendship and partnership around this. And then behind it all is Tommy Codwell's, you know, backstory, which is, again, he went through this crazy harrowing thing where he was climbing and... Um, Kyrgyzstan. Think, yeah, Kyrgyzstan. And essentially got kind of captured and were prisoners. And he's got this thing that's, you know, behind him in, a, in part of his life tied to climbing and he obviously escaped that, but there's this, well, what's the motivation and fuel behind doing crazy difficult things that is also underlying the movie? And only um, nine and a half fingers. So he lost a finger in a, um, a saw accident, which in climbing is really important to have the part of your finger above your knuckle to grip onto rocks and what have you. Um, so it's just a remarkable story of determination and discipline. And then, like Steve said, it becomes a story of teamwork once they get up on the wall. All right. Speaking of teamwork, coming in at number five, this is fresh, just released, is The Captain on ESPN. I believe you also get it on Hulu, produced by ESPN. And this show profiles Derek Jeter of the New York Yankees over his career. And as somebody that grew up a big sports fan throughout Jeter's career, the behind-the-scenes footage is just incredible. The interviews with all of these baseball players that my generation grew up worshiping, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, David Cohn, David Wells, um, Alberto Alfonso, Bernie Williams, Daryl Strawberry, uh, Roger Clemens, now disgraced with steroid use, but man, before we all knew he was doping, could he throw that ball fast? Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling before he went batshit crazy. Anyways, Nomar Garcia Parrott, David Ortiz. I'm going to stop for the non-baseball fans, but it takes you back to that golden era of late 90s, early aughts baseball. When you had the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Mariners, the Marlins, and these teams just hated each other. And um, it shows how Derek Jeter was really like the ultimate champion. And what I gleaned watching this is I, I remember Derek Jeter and I hear Derek Jeter and I think leader, pretty boy Yankee. What I don't think, or I didn't until revisiting his career through this documentary, he was phenomenal at baseball. And what happened was he was slightly overshadowed because he, he was in this era where you had Alex Rodriguez pre-steroid use, or at least pre-we knew it, and then Nomar Garcia-Para, who were numbers-wise better shortstops than him. But in terms of a gamer and someone that could win and make the big play, Jeter was the best of them all. And I think that you forget that when you hear about Derek Jeter. So I loved it, not only learning about his leadership style and what it meant to be a New York Yankee, but also 
just watching these highlights of Jeter and realizing that this guy wasn't only a leader and like a, a, a wonderful face of the organization. He was a phenomenal shortstop. Yeah, that sums it up well. And for those uh, baseball fans from that era, really hits home. All right, so let's go from baseball to another sport. And if you grew up in the, again, 90s and aughts, another familiar name, number four, Tony Hawk, Until the Wheels Fall Off. It's on HBO Max. Tony Hawk, the prolific revolutionary skater um, who really did bring skateboarding into the mainstream. He did that in his own skateboarding and the X Games, but also in video games with um, his best-selling game, which is, I think, one of the best-selling video games of all time, if I remember correctly. And this documentary traces kind of the, his story from Phenom and to losing it all to coming back, and then also the struggles almost as being identified and having this thing skating, which is also a pa- is a passion, and now being, I think, into his you know 40s and 50s, um, and still skating. And it almost leaves with this underlying question, as in the title of the, the movie, until the wheels fall off, is like, he's still trying to do crazy difficult things and to wrestle with this. And one of my favorite parts of the, the movie was actually, you get all these interviews with his fellow skaters through the year. And there's this, like, I don't know, this guy... I I forget his, I think it's Rob or Rod Mullen, who's a fellow, you know, world-class skater, who's almost this kind of like philosopher slash probably a guy who smoked a lot of pot. Um, and he gives Those this... Those two things go hand in hand, he, especially he, in the 90s. That's right. And he, he gives this, this great, you know, display of when Hawk was struggling and he was trying to hit you know, this, this 900 in competition and he was trying to force it and he was struggling with so much. And, and Mullen tells Hawk, you know, essentially, Hey, you got to risk not winning. And then Hawk comes back and he said, like, you know, I had to stop competing and let go and take a totally different approach and once he let go, he was almost freed up to perform again like he was when he was younger. And I just kind of love this idea of here's this guy who was on the top, the best of the best. And even he was struggling with, you know, how do I keep going? How do I break three? And sometimes that's it's almost like caring a little bit less. So if you're a pusher, if you are listening to this podcast, you're going to love this documentary. Yeah, and it's Rodney Mullen. There you go. Um, and the first thing that comes up is I'm fairly certain he doesn't smoke weed. Oh, wow. There you go. So he's just a philosopher on a skateboard. My apologies. Um, yeah. The other thing I really liked about that um, that documentary was that you really get like to go deep into this niche underworld of skateboarding, which I didn't know anything about. Um, I did not skate growing up. I wasn't into skater culture. And it was just cool to watch this thing that started out as like a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Off-culture punk art become more mainstream. And how they 
they being the the kind of founding fathers of the sport in its mainstream way, how they had to deal with the professionalization of the sport without sucking the soul out of it. And I think that they did a much better job than professional triathlete, per se, which also came up in that time period in San Diego. And it was very much like counterculture. That's the word I was looking for, counterculture, kind of um, off-vibe off sport. And it's completely lost, like that fun or that funk. And for the runners, I think ultra running is another great example, which is like kind of like right on the edge of is it still like this thing that the crazy outcasts do or is it going to be completely like corporate within five years and go the way of triathlon? And um, I really enjoyed that documentary because I think that they did a good job balancing the commercial pressures that came with the sport increasing while still maintaining its soul. And um, as I mentioned, I think a lot of sports struggle with that. All right. So now we are into the top three. This is tough. I want to do a surprise switch on Steve because we argued over two and three, but I'm not. So I'm going to talk about number three. Steve's going to talk about number two. Lucky for Jimmy Chin, he made them both. Unlucky for Jimmy Chin, he only climbed as an active participant in number three. So the third movie on our list is Meru. And Meru tells the story of Jimmy Chin, Conrad Anker, and Renan Oztruk's mission to climb the shark's fin, which is a route up a peak called Meru that had not been summited before. And it is just a bonkers crazy story that involves them getting within 150 meters of the peak the first time and the veteran Kadran Anchor telling them they have to turn back because they're going to run out of food if they camp one more night and they won't make it down alive. Talk about wisdom and restraint. 150 meters. It's painful watching the documentary. They point the camera up at the peak and you can see it. You're like, why don't you just keep going? But Conrad Anchor had the restraint to turn back. Talks about how Conrad Anchor, that is hard-earned restraint after losing so many friends and colleagues and climbing partners to decisions where they would have gone for it. So they're coming back. They're going to do it again. And Renan Ozturk, one of the three climbers, is involved in a terrible accident in an avalanche and suffers all sorts of damage to his vertebrae, to his arteries that um, run through his neck. And like, there's talk that this guy's never going to walk again. And this is months out from when they're supposed to go back. And Osterk somehow fucking goes back on the mountain, has a mini stroke during their ascent up. And I don't want to spoil it, but um, I am not a crier. I don't think I've ever cried in a movie with the exception of Meru. I cried at the end of this movie. Um, For bonus, the soundtrack is wonderful. And if you have seen the movie, maybe you remember this. If you haven't, look out for it. But there's this scene during their second time up where the climbers kind of like hit stride and Jose Gonzalez music comes on. And it is just like, man, you don't have to be religious to experience some awe and some spirituality in that moment. So I'm a big fan of Meru. I'd probably put it in number one if this list was just up to me, but it's not. I also have a climbing partner. His name is Steve, and he's going to tell you about number two. Number two, also by Jimmy Chen, Free Solo. 
It's the story of Alex Honnold. We talked about climbing El Capitan earlier. Well, Honnold free soloed it, meaning no ropes, no nothing, just him climbing up a 3,000-foot wall, essentially, with him. And to be clear, so we're not confusing people, and again, I am not a climber, but it's just become a part of the things I write about, largely due to the time I spend at Outside Magazine. Um, Same rock face, but different routes. Because you might be thinking, like, well, how did it take Caldwell and Jorgensen like 17 days, and Connell did it with no ropes, nothing, in one go, and different routes. Yes. Equally freaking impressive, though. Good good clarification there. So I, I, I love this movie. Um, I think one, because it, it kind of wrestles with, again, that kind of obsessiveness and craziness to do insane things, which is there are so many cool moments in the, in the film where you see what makes Honnold tick and what makes him able to do crazy, difficult things. A couple that come to mind are you know the the journaling and sure like pure meticulousness of knowing like essentially every hold every single you know crevice on that rock face wall and like mentally going through them and then the other part that i love about this movie without spoiling everything about it is there's this moment where the first time he makes this, he starts the ascent and you think in the movie, you're like, okay, here it goes. Like he's gonna, this is the beginning of it. And he starts to climb, he starts to climb. Well, then he just stops and he comes back down and he essentially, I forget the, the exact quote, but he essentially says, there are too many people watching me. Like, I don't feel right. I'm too nervous. I'm stopping. And here's this guy who's about to, you know, again, climb 3,000 feet rock face without ropes and seen as impenetrable. And he displays humanity that even the best of the best, even people who do crazy difficult things, like sometimes it's not their day and you have to have that awareness, kind of what you talked about with Meru and Conrad Anchor to know, hey, there's no harm in turning around. There's no harm in quitting. I'm going to take this and come back again another day, which he did. And I think that part of the reason that we're so drawn to these climbing films is because um, much like endurance sports and weightlifting and all the things that you and I from a sporting stance really like, as well as like the quest of a phenomenal novelist or poet or artist, it's a lot of time alone in your head. And I think that you kind of become a philosopher just by nature of participating in these sports because you're forced to spend so much time asking yourself, like, why am I doing this? What am I trying to get out of this? Is this born out of insecurity? Is this born out of joy? Am I trying to prove something? Am I just an adrenaline junkie? Like, what's going on here? And I think that what makes climbing particularly for better and for worse, special is that the stakes are life and death often. So ultra runners, they go through a lot of time in their head doing something that's insane. In very rare circumstances is one's life at stake, whereas climbing, there's a lot on the line always. Um, So it's just like a really like intense microcosm of striving for excellence with a lot at stake. And then you end up getting these climbers that also tend to be really thoughtful, well-spoken people 
Um, and it merges these two great things together. And, and not only does it make for, um, for good, good films, but it makes for really good discussion on why we do what we do um, and why we strive for greatness. Speaking of why we strive for greatness, that's a question that in all 6, 10, 15, 20, the many episodes of The Last Dance on Netflix and Hulu, Michael Jordan couldn't really answer. Is it because he was angry? Is it because he felt joy in winning? Is it because he felt like he had to win? Or is it just because he was wired to just destroy and win? And um, man, that's it. That is the crux of The Last Dance, along with so many other things that Steve will, will talk about. But it's the number one documentary. It goes back to a very special age of basketball for Steve and I. Again, that kind of early 90s, late 90s, NBA Live, um, Celtics, Pistons, Lakers, Bulls era of basketball. And then it also takes a look at Michael Jordan, who just had to win and didn't even know why he had to win and wasn't necessarily having fun winning. And um, it's just phenomenally, phenomenally done. And the, the side stories about Rodman are worth their weight in gold. It, don't 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 leave out my rockets there of '90s basketball. Oh yeah, oh. Hakeem the Dream and Sam Cassell. They won two championships with an asterisk because those two championships were the years that Jordan was off playing baseball. No asterisks, man. They're championships. Who That's else how was on that team? They had Hakeem, Sam Cassell. Uh, the second one they had um, they had Clyde the Glide Drexler. They Clyde also Drexler had... played on those teams. On the I always second. thought he was on Portland. He was until the second one. I had um, no idea. Did he start? Yeah. Or come off the bench. No, he started. And then they had. Yes. Wow. Clyde Drexler won a championship. I did not know that. I'm just asking because back in the day when we played NBA Live, I loved playing Portland because Clyde the Glide was so good on that video game. Yeah. He was on the second one, I believe. They also had guys like Robert Ory, Otis Thor. Robert Ory. Yep. Um, That guy's won a lot of the championships. So, you know, it's good stuff. So I, I, I love the last dance. I think the behind the scenes on, on Jordan and also kind of the documentary comes with this underlying of like, well, what's the purpose of the documentary? Is it to like paint Jordan and a good picture? Is it to like expose, is it like his viewpoint or others? And I think it's this cool contrast. If you're interested in more, watch the documentary. But Brad, if you remember, we actually did a podcast uh, breaking down the entire, um, yeah, the entire documentary as well. We will put that in the show notes, but make sure you watch it first before you listen to it because um, we've got a lot of spoilers in there and we did give some spoiler alerts. All right, so The Last Dance takes the one spot. For extra credit, Steve doesn't watch TV because even though he said on a prior episode that he does things for fun, watching TV is not one of them. I, on the other hand, am a connoisseur of good TV. And there are three phenomenal TV shows that also explore, in a fictionalized way, the relentless pursuit of excellence. So we're going to drop them here really quick. The first is The Queen's Gambit, which was on Netflix, which is based on a true story. And it actually, I don't know. Hold on. I'm having a, a, a brain fart moment here. 
I don't think it's based on a true story. I think it's based on a book, but the book is fictionalized. And it is about a young woman who dreams of being a a chess champion and is just so fixated on being the best chess player in the world. And as hard as that is for anyone, it is in an era when it's even harder because she is discriminated against because no one thinks that a woman could possibly beat all these American, let alone Russian men. And um, I'm not going to spoil it, but you should watch it. It's phenomenal. The second show is Ted Lasso, which I still cannot believe that Steve refuses to watch. Um, Just a joy to watch about coaching and excellence and the the character beard just just makes things right in the world. So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, it's on Apple TV. Um, we didn't have Apple TV. We went out and got the subscription just to watch Ted Lasso. It was worth every penny. It is uplifting. It is fun. It is somewhat sentimental and saccharine, but it's also filled with really valuable lessons on leadership and coaching. And then most recently, a show that I just got obsessed with is called The Bear on Hulu. And the bear follows a master chef, young guy, whose brother dies rather suddenly and leaves him his family restaurant that is in a working class neighborhood of Chicago. The restaurant is in shambles. The town is kind of falling apart. And um, this kid quits his job as the best new chef at a fancy restaurant to come run this hole in the wall joint and tries to build it into something special. It has an episode in there where it is one single cut. It's 22 minutes. It's probably the best episode of TV I've ever watched. Um, so definitely check out The Bear on Hulu. All right. So now you've got lots of documentaries and a couple TV shows to watch. Um, let us know what we missed. Let us know if you agree or disagree. Direct those messages to Steve. I want no part of the hate. No, no. I just, I just, our, our listeners aren't going to hate. I just want to, you know, explore. Please, other I, I attempted to post this on Twitter a while ago and I had to take it down after seven minutes because of the hate that came my way. Well, you know, they, people just don't you like didn't you. mention so-and-so. You didn't mention this. You didn't mention that. Okay. Are you aware that all the producers were born within the same four years? Are you ageist? No. These are just the best documentaries of the last decade. All according right. According to nothing but us. So, so go bother Brad. That's what I'm going to say. Go bother Brad, and we'll leave it at that. And thank you for listening. Um, we appreciate you guys. Until next time.